Hello, hello, hello again. This is Byron McCauley, uh, your co-host of the Hope Interrupted podcast. And we are excited to have um, the next few minutes of power-packed and fun-filled content. Uh, I'm here, of course, with um, my co-host, the lovely and talented Jennifer Mooney. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Byron, it's good to see your face. I think our audience knows by now that we actually can see each other during these shows. And I'm happy. We took the last two weeks off because I finally got to see my daughter, who I hadn't seen in two years because she lives in Germany. Yes. And she was able to come to the States and get back safely. And now there are going to be some travel lockdowns again, but we squeezed it in. <laughs> oh, that is absolutely wonderful. I know we do have some travel lockdowns because of this new variant of, uh, of COVID. And we're trying to sort of almost retrench now. So we're, we're struggling to get back to normal, but also we're retrenching. So, you know, I'm so excited that you got a chance to see your daughter, though. That was I've been following you vicariously. Uh, in social media, and it looks like you guys had a ton of fun. We did. I'll tell you something interesting, though. They were shocked. Um, her husband is European. They were shocked that the United States even had a, quote, break from the pandemic because they said, you know, it never stopped in Europe. We've still been on lockdown. And then he is uh, Belgian and had never been to uh, New Mexico, which is where everyone knows we live. And I, it was like watching a three-year-old with something new because this is so different than anything, anything um, in Europe. So that was, that was fun. It's always fun to get to see your place new from someone who's never been there before. Yes, it is. And you know, Jennifer, speaking of the pandemic, um, I want to pivot a little bit because our guest today is someone that I've admired for years that I've known for years. Um, and um, when you talk about the pandemic, you know, in America, we're talking about resilience. We're talking about a little bit of resistance, but we're mostly talking about re resilience here. And our next guest is, you know, if you looked up resilience in the dictionary, I, I, I think the name beside it might be Mr. Ty Lawson. Uh, because, well, hi, Ty. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you all for having me. Well, we have been looking forward to this. And I thank you for uh, accepting our gracious invitation uh, to have you on the show. I'm going to just read a little bit from your bio before we introduce you, okay, as part of the introduction. So so for, for those of you who are listening, who are, who are riding your, in your cars or jogging or riding your bike, you know, just, just be careful out there. Uh, but let me just talk a little bit about Ty. Now, Ty is from New Orleans. I've known him for, year, for, for, for years. Um, he is currently serving as the inaugural Marion M. and John S. Stokes Visiting Professor in Racing Culture and Media at the School of Communication and Design at Loyola University in New Orleans. Um, so Ty is a creative and global and media and education professional who has experienced in broadcast and digital news as well as filmmaking. As a matter of fact, Ty um, has had his films 
screened um, at, at Cannes. Um, he has a, more than a dozen of short films that have been screened at, at Cannes, which is, of course, the world's biggest film fester, festival, um, Berlinale and Toronto. And so as a result of his work, Ty was selected as the um, Berlinale talent in, in 2014. Most recently, I'm, I must tell you, he has uh, worked for two powerhouse shows that you guys probably know and have heard of. If you have it, then you probably live in a hole and you never come out. ABC News, Good Morning America, and NBC News' third hour today. Ty, welcome back. That's that's just so much stuff. I can't even. I don't. I don't even know what to say. I'm just proud to know you. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a guy you say, okay, so what have, what have you been doing for the last five years? That's because right. he's you've packed about three lifetimes in. Yeah, you have. You have, Ty. Well, um, only one life to live, so why not? Get that's it right. That's right. There's no other person that I know who has lived life to the fullest like you have. Um, and I'm just really, again, thankful to know you, Ty. And the reason we have you on this show is because something interesting uh occurred to me you are from new orleans you're living in new orleans right now and you have the unique experience of um uh, being in li having lived through hurricane katrina in new orleans uh having been back in new orleans to experience hurricane ida and then in the same week Ida likes you because she followed you up to New York as you were visiting your friends. <laughs> yeah. You have to be the luckiest man in the world or the, the most unlucky man in the world? Uh, I'm going to say I'm the luckiest man, despite what it may seem like. Uh, just in the sense of um, having an affinity to New Orleans and New York, two places I adore. But um, I look at both as being extremely resilient and very hopeful because um, all that they've been through, and I've witnessed some of those things, whether it was Katrina in New Orleans, Sandy in New York, uh, the blackout in New York, and Ida in both places, I knew for a fact if no other cities will come back, these are two places that will bounce back, regardless of what is uh, you know sent their way. And people who are from both communities are very uh, adamant about uh, being survivors and overcoming whatever is thrown at them. And that's something that they champion. Uh, if you get to know anyone who's from New York or New Orleans, that's definitely one of those proud bragging rights that they will share with you that, you know, we've, we've survived this or we've done this and we've overcome this. You know, it's in my DNA, as a lot of us would like to say. So. I think having that unique perspective is good for me. Um, but I do think um, my resiliency bounces back. Uh, Byron, I'm not sure if you remember, but early on, um, I myself was in a serious car accident. And um, there was a lot of uh, talk that the doctors and other medical professionals uh, told my family and you know, even told me that I probably wouldn't survive or wouldn't make it. But I came over that because I had this belief that I could bounce back. And I, I really credit that to where I come from. And you know, 
uh, living in New York, I see that a lot with people in New York uh, in the face of when uh, Sandy happened and I was out interviewing people who were who had never experienced anything like that with the flooding and the devastation, but they were all very, I never heard anyone say, that's it, I give up, I'm moving. I always heard, we're gonna get through this. It sucks, but we're gonna be okay. Like no one ever waved a white flag and ran from it. They just said, we'll get through this, we'll survive. I'm a New Yorker, this is what we do. That was always the message I got. And um, because of that, that was something that influenced me. And I kept that in the back of my head for anything I face. I'm like, I lived in the biggies and the big apple. I can handle anything. And that's always been my champion, you know, from those two places. You know, one thing, Ty, I want to say about that for a minute is some of my graduate work is in the study of positive psychology and resilience. And I have a different word for it. People like you and the people you interviewed, they're prevailers. They're more than survivors. They're prevailers. They, um, they, you're talking about people being able to kind of get to a higher place where they're not going to get whatever it is, let them get them down. And one thing Byron and I talk about some and being, and this is, you know, in our book, Byron being, um, a black American and me being a Jewish American, and you mentioned your DNA, and that often for centuries we didn't have a choice, that we didn't have a choice. So I, I sometimes think that maybe now we're, maybe we're all gifted now. Maybe we've got, maybe we've got something, maybe we've got something that, that helped us to push through and, and, and maybe end up even better on the other side of it. I agree. I agree. I think that's um, definitely, um, I, I love the, the word prevailer. I like that. I, I like that way more than survivor. Uh, I, I just hadn't thought of a word. You've just given me something. I hope you don't mind. I will use it. Please. Uh, I really think that's a really uh, good way to look at things. Uh, I always try to look for that positive uh, outcome, regardless of what circumstance I'm in. Um, but I do think um, it, it's something unique to people who've uh, had experiences with um, any sort of trauma or tragedy. Um, when they overcome it, um, they have a different perspective in general. Um, and of course, I'm saying New York and New Orleans because that's what I know. But I'm sure there are other people in America who have their own tests and testimony and their own story to tell, but I can definitely say I witnessed with my own eyes what goes on in these two places and how people have overcome. You know, I'm back in New Orleans right now, and even though the power was not 100% on in the city, there's so many people here already trying to rebuild and open back up. Lots of restaurants. I live in Jackson Square, which is like a really busy area of the city. And lots of restaurants around me and shops, are, their doors are open, their signs, they're like, hey, we're open, come on in. You know, they, they've just bounced back, removed the sandbags, taken the boards off the windows, like, you know, it is what it is, we're here. And so uh, I, I do appreciate that because um, I was getting antsy 
when I wasn't around to know, because when I had to flee New York, I ended up in Houston. And nothing against Houston, but it's not New York, <laughs> New Orleans. And I needed to be in one of those places because that's my, you know, comfort zone and being in, so I was excited to get back to New Orleans to be here, even though it wasn't completely open, but I'm like, you know what, I have power, let's go back, let's see. And I'm here, we don't go back to school until next week, but you know, I'm here and it's fine. And you know, the city's bouncing back and there's an energy here. And I think you, you feed off that energy, especially when you're in that moment, uh, you know, it's good to be around other positive people uh, and I say positive, but I guess other prevailers as, uh, is probably a better word because people here are already proving that they are prevailing. You know, they're already bouncing back. People are working. People are out and about. And they believe it's going to be all right. Every night I hear a trumpet player, he's playing in Jackson Square, and I can hear him playing through my window. And I'm like, okay, he comes out every night. Now, that's something he used to do before, and then it, went away because of the storm, but he's back. And that's just like a reminder of like, you know what? We're, there, there's still hope. And he plays every night. I don't know what he's playing, but I recognize he's playing. And I'm like, okay, the trumpet player is out again. So I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a happy reminder that we are prevailing and, um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm taking your word and just No, it. it's, it's not, it's not my word, but it's a good word. And I, it's a great I, word. I, boot, I bootlegged it from someone else because I used to say survivor too, till I realized that sir, this man, when he, he gave this word to me was talking about people maybe, um, you know, it's like skeletons at a gate who are barely making it, but then are surviving. But then the people who are prevailing are, are trying to hope and aim for something much better for themselves and for the people around them. Yeah. I like that. You, wow. know, you know, Ty, some of the things that you talked about, oh, uh, it was just really sort of going right to my soul when I, when I think about the resiliency of the people of Louisiana and, and New York. I mean, of course, you and I are from Louisiana and you're from New Orleans, so you've you touched on a lot of things. And yes, I, I do want to harken back. I do remember um, that tragic uh, wreck that you had, Ty, and to, for you to recover from that, ooh, it is just absolutely amazing. Uh, and to be able to be resilient, to, you know, to go, this happened all before your graduate school work, and it happened all before your you know, you, you went to the, the, to, to, to the far East and, you know, um, did all the things that, that, that you've inspired, uh, actually so many people, uh, with your work. I do want to talk a little bit about, um, that because you happened to leave Los Angeles and you moved to New York like in the middle of when COVID was just about to, to come about, like you started work or, you know, very early uh, in the process of COVID. And then you found yourself having to pivot from all the things that you thought you needed to do as a, as a, as a producer of news. Um, and then you're, you find yourself at good morning America and you have to do news production through zoom. Well, can you talk about what that was like? 
Well, um, when we started doing, and I was, this was, um, I was at NBC at this time. I had moved from Good Morning America. And um, it was a change because always morning shows are very lively. There are staffs of uh, 80 plus people working on the show. The show is only two hours long, but that's how many people it takes for a big show like that. And that's not just counting the people you see on the screen, like counting everyone involved. But when they tell us we have to work from home, you you wonder, well, how is this going to happen? And we started doing these Zooms, and I was like, okay, it's working. But um, there was still this morale that I felt was missing because you're not in the same room, and you're not with these people, and you're just you're talking to a computer screen. You're not physically in the same space, if that makes sense. And um, even though that's the world we live in now, that was at the beginning of it and you didn't know what was gonna happen. We didn't even know if we were doing it correctly. We were like, we hope this works. We haven't had anyone to say they don't see us on TV. Um, we did have some mishaps where of course some of us only dressed from up top, forgot to put on bottoms and <laughs> If someone gets up or moves, you can see, and you're like, oh, wait, you're on Zoom. You're kind of good. And that happened a few times in the beginning. But once we got through that, you know, with some hiccups, we were able to do it. But I think uh, for someone like me, it was it was more trying because I am not a homebody at all. I've never been a homebody. And I thought I was going to lose my mind being home because once we ended at 10 a.m., I'm free. And I was like, so what do I do? And that was where I, I started to like try to find an outlet, but everything was shut down in the city. And so I would take walks through the city and I took pictures every day. And I would see, like, you've never seen Broadway just like completely deserted, shut down, boarded up. You know, the marquees are up, but no people. Uh, Ticket offices are closed. You go into Times Square, not a soul, not a taxi or anything. And it was just weird. Uh, it felt like the apocalypse to me in the beginning. And it took months of getting used to that. I was, once they opened the subway back up, nobody wanted to go in there. I was like, I'm going to go down. And I went into a uh, subway station. There was not a soul in there. I took a picture on the platform and I turned around and walked out. I was like, well, I'm not going to be the only one. <laughs> Back up. I got on a bus. No one was on the bus. Like everyone was afraid to do anything. And it was interesting because on one of the walks, I would go from Harlem because at the time I was living in Harlem and I would go down to the Brooklyn Bridge. And I did this every day. And on one of the walks back up, I passed the Apollo Theater and they had a, a, a quote up. And I took a picture of it. It said, keep your head up, Tupac. And I just thought it was neat. And then I noticed every day, because I had never noticed until then, they were putting up quotes every day, like trying to inspire and keep hope alive amongst like the residents. And so I just thought that was like a cool thing. But here we are in the middle of this pandemic, and I'm doing this walk every day. But uh, fast forward to like, I would say May, or late May, early June, uh, the pandemic met the protests. <laughs> and that was a whole nother part of New York that I had to deal with. But, you know, um, 
I never lost hope about New York in that sense. I, I thought that showed our resiliency in the sense of, despite what was going on with the pandemic, you still had people who believed whenever I passed the Apollo, I saw that. And then you had people who were still angry about other stuff that was going on in the community and they were still voicing their concern. Wearing a mask, of course, which I thought was interesting that they actually wore masks uh, to do that. But um, I think, you know, it was, it was a very um, unique time to be here. And it's something I'll never forget. I, I kept the pictures uh, in my phone. Like, cause I would take pictures every single day. Like I would take a picture of if I saw like an empty park bench or I passed a restaurant and it was abandoned. I took a picture because I was just curious. Um, and it's interesting looking at those pictures a year later, some things have changed, some places have went away, but some things have uh, bounced back, you know, significantly. Um, I think New York for the most part, in spite of all that's going on with the pandemic around the country, New York started coming alive to me in like April. You started seeing a lot more people out. People felt comfortable, businesses were open. They were still wearing masks. We were still dining outdoors, but you saw a lot more people felt comfortable doing that. And then by the time the summer started, New York was full bloom. You know, we had the welcome back to New York concerts and we had all these events happening in the park. Even last weekend when I was in New York amidst a hurricane, <laughs> um, they had events that weekend in the park and I went out and it was nice, you know, to get those breaks because to me, those moments are breaks to let you know, you know what, we're going through this, but we're going to be okay. And so I thought that was like the cool aspect of like New York and it reminds you of how resilient it is as a place. You know, it's interesting because our book, so so Byron and I started writing on June 6th um, in 2020. And what started us writing was George Floyd being murdered. And it was a combination of George Floyd, the pandemic, and life. And so now we're a year and some change away from all that. And I'm not going to give away the spoiler alert to how we end the book. Those who've read it know. But let's just say that we ended it on a pretty hopeful note. And we're both hope mongers. But I'm sitting here and looking at some of the behavior of our country that's still holding this country back. Mm -hmm. At least from my point of view, we're being held back right now. There, The numbers are still horrible. And... I feel in some ways we've come a long way as a nation, but in other ways we're backslipping. And that makes me sad. And I don't know where I'm going with that, except to say that you can look at pockets of places like New Orleans, like New York, mm-hmm. where things seem to be going really well, but then without naming any, well, I am going to name Texas. <laughs> I am going yeah, to name Texas. I am because, going to name Texas and I'm uh, going to name Florida. Absolutely. Those two uh, states <laughs> are, are bringing in the country. Well, the actions of the, of the leadership in the states, not the people. I must say that. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with that because uh, even in my little visit to Texas, 
I've been to Texas twice since the uh, end of May. Once uh, my nephew got high school, and then I went because of the pandemic uh, and the evacuation, you know, from New York. And what I was uh, pleasantly surprised, uh, well, I shouldn't say pleasant, but I was surprised because I had heard all this stuff about Texas and people not wearing masks and all that, you know, whatever. And I saw that, but I saw a whole lot of people who did have on masks in spite of signs saying you don't need masks and it's okay, come in. I mean, there were businesses that flat out said, you know, masks are optional, come on in. And they were bragging and proud of that. But I saw people who, to me, it was their hope, like, we're gonna get through this, so I'm gonna wear this mask regardless of what you're saying. And so that gives me hope for places like Texas and Florida. Not two places I uh, live in or I visit often, but I, I do think, thankfully, not everyone, they're not monolithic in that sense, which is good. So I think there is some hope and there is some resiliency for those two places. Just in seeing what I saw in those two visits, I mean, again, I didn't see the whole state, but the little microcosm of what I experienced and what I saw was, you know what, even though it's free will and you don't need to do this, there were lots of people who were like, nope, I'm putting my mask on and I'm gonna wear this mask even though I'm vaccinated and I believe we need to stop the spread. Uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying that by any means that New York or New Orleans is perfect because clearly they're not, they've done well with the pandemic, but then they've also had a lot of backsliding because you know, it's, it's gonna be a push and pull for us. When I think of a success story for the pandemic, I actually think of Taiwan and Vietnam, two places I hold dearly because I've spent time there and I have friends there. And I, went to, I had a friend who was getting married last summer in Taiwan, but I couldn't go because they weren't letting people in. Taiwan contained the, pan, the spread of the pandemic immensely. And they've opened back up and they travel everywhere. They just don't let people from uh, countries like the U.S. visit. <laughs> and so it's funny, but it's also it's serious in the sense of, um, you know, until we all get on the same page, we're going to have this push and pull. And I don't know if we're going to get out of this in the next six months. I don't know if it's going to be another year. I, I don't know, but I do hope and I do believe that if we all do our part, whatever that is and wherever you're living, because I can't necessarily tell people what to do where they live, but it would be nice for us to all, you know, follow the science and, you know, put a mask on or vaccinate. So that's my political spell on this. <laughs> you brought Very up good. something interesting, though, that I think is important that some places may be problematic but we still can have hope for the human spirit mm -hmm. yeah. and that's it that's that is important yeah. and we do in the united states we're kind of rugged individualists here mm -hmm. and because of that people define freedom in lots of different ways yeah. Yeah. and we're not not everyone here just goes along with what the what their leadership says yeah. Thankfully, we don't always go along with what leadership says. That's right. But it's um, but we can still hope for individuals. And I think Byron, when we were writing, 
we talked a lot about that too because even when things seemed really bleak we we tried to we tried to hone in on the positive stories and the things going on out there that that are to be believed in that's exactly right jennifer and and i and i, and I do want to um piggyback on a lot of what you said about you know that rugged individualism uh, America is the best country, uh, I still think, in, in the world to live in. I mean, we do have, even though there were attacks on our democracy, and we did talk about that in the book a little bit, you know, we still have a democratic republic that we can rely on. We still have a constitution, even though it's under attack in many ways in this country right now. And I can't think of a better teacher uh, of students with uh, than, than Ty uh, to, to be able to share his wisdom. I know uh, in his bio, he talked about his new role uh, as, a, as a visiting professor of race and culture at, uh, and excuse me, uh, yeah, race and culture and media and design at Loyola in New Orleans. And, and one, of his, uh, one, of, one of the things that he says he wants to do is to use his experience to prepare students for future successes as leaders in the communications industry while offering a critical lens to examine the intersection of media with race, gender, gender, identity, and culture. We talked a lot about that in our book, Jennifer. And I just, before we leave, I need Ty to talk a little bit about his goals for that because that is so important in America right now when we have so many different kinds of um, interests and pushes and pulls, as you said, Ty, pulling on our young people's minds and hearts. Can you talk about that just a little bit about kind of framing how you want to um, share your information with those kids? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, the way I set it up, um, this uh, professorship was um, endowed by a family that owned some media outlets around the country, but they wanted to make sure that media is uh, very critical and very open and very representative of the country we live in. So the way I've tried to shape this uh, course with my students, um, I want to spend time talking about race, but I want to spend time talking about what it means to be a woman in media. and. When we talk about media, it's not just broadcast or print, it's digital, it's film, you know, it's across the board, advertising. And I wanna make sure we cover all those areas. And I've kind of stretched out the semester where we've pick, taken real life experiences and cases that re uh, replicate those areas so we can discuss. One thing I'm gonna do is I have a whole we set up with the students where we do pandemic and protest, which is something I kind of alluded to here. And we look at some of how the protest and the pandemic was covered, but we also look at it based on how it, where it intersects with race and identity and gender. Uh, another area that I'm gonna definitely uh, talk about is the Me Too movement and what it sparked and what's going on uh, from, how it started 10 years ago to where it's at now. So uh, again, the class is gonna be action-packed and along the way we have some invited guests, can't reveal all of them. Some of them are pretty known people who are gonna like step in and sit in and talk to my students as well. Because I just wanna make sure it's an open conversation. I've given them just to kind of give you a real life example. One of my former uh, managers recently got exploited for some, not exploited, but he got called out 
for a Me Too moment. And I didn't know it existed. And I felt bad about that because I was like, wow, I worked there. And I, I brought it to my students for them to analyze how would you handle this if you were a the person who was um, the provider or the prevailer of this moment, or B, if you were the person representing the person accused. Because I want them to look at the ethics involved with how things you know take place and take shape and how it's presented. You know, some people are presented as the golden boy, and oh, boys will be boys, whereas it's a pattern if they've done this and they've just been swept under the rug and they get you know elevated to new positions or whatever. So I definitely want to make sure we, you know, rip off the band-aid and really look at these issues. And that's basically what we've been doing. We got sidetracked for a week with the uh, hurricane, but we're back at it next week. And we've been talking via social media. Some of the students are on it and they're excited. So I think it'll be good. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Byron and I are doing some work in higher ed. If you're ever interested in our coming to meet with your students, with the subjects you talked about, we we have a chapter called, it's that I wrote, called I'm Not That Into Me Too. Okay. Well, I've asked, yeah, I've already invited you all. I've already said I would like you all to come. Oh, I missed this. It was in the secret pre-conversation, the pre-meeting that all the guys the, always have before we go into is, the real meeting. It's okay. I think this, I know you're not those guys. You but, know I'm kidding. I hope you oh, do. I, I hope I, the I audience know, knows I know, I'm kidding. I know neither of you yeah. are those guys. No, you're not, we're not. We're not you're not the guys, guys I had to learn. You to know up. I'm not that guy. I know you're not that I'm guy. We wouldn't have written a book mother. together. That's exactly yes. my brother, my hashtag brother from another mother. That's exactly right. But I, I do think, and we write about this quite a bit. I mean, kudos to you. My daughters are 28 and 29. Byron's are a little younger. We say repeatedly, the future of this nation is about these young people and what they're, what they're going to do mm-hmm. and the way they're going to structure their lives and what they're going to care about. And I think I repeatedly wrote in the book, that's probably why I'm the most hopeful because I believe these younger people are better than my generation. I'm 58 years old. I believe these these young people are more inclusive. I believe they care about the planet a lot more. Mm-hmm. I believe that they're not racist. Mm-hmm. And in my generation, my high school graduating class, um, unfortunately, I've learned some kind of awful things. <laughs> I, I can I can see that even though uh, you know uh, I've only been there a few months. I'm very excited because I see it in my students. And when we have discussions about issues, they come alive. And I've I've explained to them I wanted to be an open space uh, where they can all talk and give their thoughts, whether they agree or disagree with me. I mean, I have a whole segment where we're going to do on MAGA because whether or not I believe or you believe in MAGA, it was one of the best marketing campaigns <laughs> ever we created in this world. And I want to make sure we unpack all of that. And I explained that to them up front. I was like, it's not political. I'm not pro or con. I'm just laying it out there so we can talk about it. So, um, you know, that's one of the areas we, you know, will discuss. And I will be delighted when you all join me. Uh, this semester at some point. So we'll we'll definitely plan that out because that would be great to have your insight 
and you can discuss more about what you wrote and your writings and your work, um, because this is what they need. I want them to see that there is space in this world for them to do the work. So I think that's important. And that's why I need people like you to come in and show, hey, it, it, he's not just talking. These people exist and there's work to be done. Absolutely. You know, you know, Ty, we always sort of end and we're coming down to the, the end of our episode, unfortunately, because we could continue this conversation and we will. Uh, we need to have you back to come back. We want you to we want you to make sure you do that. But at the end of our um, of, of our episodes, um, we have something that we call hopeful moments. So today, Jennifer is is going to give us our hopeful moment as we sort of wind down before we come back and say goodbye. So first, Ty, thank you so much. Um, this is really reaffirming and so positive. And before I do the hopeful moment, I am going to read a quote that I have a tendency to go back to when I put in the book. And it's a quote from the Talmud, and it reminds me of your students. And it says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And I, I feel, I feel like that. I'm not. A, I'm. I'm a Jew, but I'm not a religious person. But that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Our hopeful moment today is um, Byron and I, like most authors, are out there getting people interested in our book, mm -hmm. and we are happy to announce that. We will be on C-SPAN Book TV on September the 19th, Sunday. Book TV comes on Sundays. And we don't know what time yet. They don't start promoting that until the Thursday before, so in about a week. But I, Byron, I got to tell you, I said to my husband, Don, wow, I worked in cable TV for a long time, and I know the folks at C-SPAN, but they're kind of doing too big a favor here because we're up there with, you know, like Elizabeth Warren and some real writers, <laughs> <laughs> real writers, but I'm proud of us because this is, for me, I was a C-SPAN nerd from the get-go, so I'm pretty excited about this. And in terms of serious books, they put serious books on there, so I'm glad to see we're part of their lineup. Yeah, I am too, Jennifer. Thank you for, for sharing that. Ty, were you saying something? I apologize. I was saying well done. I, I think that's huge. So congrats on that. That is. That is. We're humbled. Uh, I'm excited. So once again, thank you so much, Ty, for, for joining us. Jennifer, um, it, it, it is okay, even though you're, if you're not a, a, a consistently practicing Jew, it is okay to, to say happy Rosh Hashanah. Am I wrong? Am I well, wrong? we're in the days of awe right now where I'm supposed to be figuring out how I'm going to be a better person. I've, I've got about 10 days to figure that out. We're efficient about it. We say you've got 10 days. Okay. By, by Yom all Kippur, right. we have to have it all worked out so then we can be written to the book, into the book of life for another year. So I do, this is the one thing I do every year because I feel like, I feel like it's important to be a little introspective and think about those things. Very good. Well, uh, we will see you guys um, a, a little bit uh, in the future. Thank you again for Ty. Thank you, Jennifer, for just being the, the bestest um, co-host ever. And, uh, and we'll talk later. <laughs>